Now entering Nerdist.com. Welcome to the Nerdist Writers Panel. This is Ben Blacker, the creator and moderator of the Nerdist Writers Panel. Thanks for listening. Follow me on Twitter, at Ben Blacker, just like it sounds. Uh, I myself am a TV writer. I've written for the shows Supernatural, Super Ninjas, and I'm currently working on a DreamWorks animated program, which I will tell you more about when I'm allowed to, but it's a lot of fun. I'm also the co-creator of the Thrilling Adventure Hour, a stage program in the style of old-time radio, available as a podcast on the Nerdist Network, monthly at Largo, and touring all over the country uh, in 2014. Find out more at thrillingadventurehour.com. It's the Nerdist Writers Panel on the Nerdist Podcast Channel. Ben Blacker talking writing with writers. Yeah. We're doing a Nerdist Writers Panel. We are. Uh, I'm lucky enough to have these dudes in the studio. Um, here's the list of credits. CSI Miami, Lost, Daybreak. Oh, lie to me. Uh, the Forgotten Pan Am. You were the showrunner of Pan Am. Is that For, correct? The last half of the season. Yeah, we'll, we'll yeah. talk about that. We can talk about that. Uh, and currently showrunner of Helix, uh, Stephen Maeda. Yep, perfect. Uh, I got more, you guys. Uh, Rob Doherty has been around the block. Uh, yeah, once or twice. Um, it was. I was surprised to see you started out in, with the Star Trek Voyager credits. Yeah, my first. Uh, was that freelance stuff? My very first scripts, yeah, I think I did three freelances over a couple of years. Because that was like, I know that was the entry for a lot of people because they had that opportunity. There was a great open, uh, uh, open door yeah. policy there that really, uh, you know, helped a lot of people out. Uh, well, I, I do want to hear about that, but uh, sure. True Calling, Point Pleasant, Medium, Ringer, uh, and currently Elementary, which you created and are running. And uh, Jonathan Groff is here as well. Um, did you start out, the earliest thing I saw on you was as a Conan writer? Yeah, my very first TV job was, really was uh, on a show called, Sh well, no, I, my very first TV job really was uh, the John Stewart Show, which is a short-lived MTV mm -hmm. show. That John had, uh, and I got fired from that after just a couple months. And then I was on a thing called Short Attention Span Theater. Mm -hmm. But my first real network, and that was Mark Maron was hosting it, which is interesting. Oh, sure. Lots of deep layers of nerds <laughs> and stuff that, I, that I've known. It's a nerd sandwich. Um, yeah, yeah, it really is. And uh, uh, and then I, I uh, ended up at Conan, which was really where, that was my first sort of like super exciting network television mm -hmm. job. And Even that, though it was late night, it was the, a great place. And a great that must time. have been an unbelievable learning experience. And you yeah. must have been a kid on that, too. Oh, well, that's very nice of you to say. But I had spent a long time doing stand-up before that. So that's oh. actually how I knew a lot of, like, your Mark Marins and mm -hmm. your John Stewart's and Louis C.K. I have, like, I'm very odd. able to drop comedy names because I was in the trenches for a long time. Were so you kind in of New York doing Boston, mostly, and then New York some. Boston okay. and on the road, occasionally in L.A. Um, oh, okay. And uh, in New York. But I kind of started writing pretty much like a year or so after I moved to New York in 93. Oh wow, yeah. and that was that was really. I mean, to talk about like Louis C.K. and Marin and those guys, that was a ripe time for comedy. Oh yeah, uh, it was it was really interesting because it was also like there was this also squeaky clean kind of Leno Seinfeld time as well. Definitely, but there was also. I mean, I could go on and on. I, I have good nerd cred. Guys. <laughs> I mean, for for somebody who hasn't written for a science fiction, I have comedy nerd cred because I was in Boston with. With Louis and David Cross, Lenny Clack, Lenny Clack but, but David Cross and I were in a sketch group together, I'm so there's that whole thing. Dana Gould, who's obviously oh, a, of course. Yeah, a yeah. meltdown nerdist favorite, all that. So <laughs> I, I, 
I uh, yes, there was that. There was all kinds of schools in Boston where I actually started. Was very big on this divide between like the Stephen Wright mm-hmm. kind of squeaky clean cerebral. Wendy Liebman came out of that. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, um, that real heady, a little bit headier stuff, one-linery mm-hmm. stuff. Yeah. Brian Kiley, who's a great writer for the mm-hmm. Tonight for uh, for Conan, still was with the Tonight Show briefly when Conan had it. But super funny one-liner guy, um, squeaky clean act. But then also, you know, there was really rough and tumble Lenny Clark. Working mm-hmm. class vibe to Boston comedy, and then, and then there was like the kind of weirdo alt crowd that came out of it too, like, <laughs> right. like more like Marin and, and Cross, Cross and Jeanine yeah. Groffalo had was up there for a while, sure. and uh, Laura Keitlinger, and oh, of course. Anyway, um, so were you? It must have been a great uh, joke training ground. I mean, working on these MTV shows for Stewart, and then going to Conan. Were you? What kind of writing were you learning to do? Uh, at Co- shows and at Conan. Well, actually, interestingly for me, I started as a stand-up, so I had to like build out from going. In a way, I've talked about I've talked about this before. Starting like writing jokes and little bits for myself, mm-hmm. and then weirdly, the the John Stewart time and the the other thing that I did, the show that I worked with on Marin and and with Conan, it was like expanding my little point of view and my own single joke thing into more sketchy stuff. And actually, that's what I've been oh, doing with with David Cross and those guys in Boston, too, was mm-hmm. coming up with sort of a longer, slightly longer form, in this case, three, two, three, four minutes, as opposed to single hits of jokes. Sure. I wasn't really a joke guy at Conan as much, because they had monologue writers for that. Although oh. sometimes the big top-of-the-show desk pieces was like, what's our, you know, what's our Regis Philbin joke here? Mm-hmm. What's our, you know, I don't know, uh, 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 the Raina Bobbitt, unfortunately, joke. <laughs> taking you back right. specifically to a kind of joke that you have to write those kinds yeah, of jokes right. in a way to do that kind of show. That's your sort of grist for the mill. Yeah, it's always interesting to me to talk to these guys who have worked in late night because I, I guess I didn't realize that there were specifically monologue guys and there were desk piece guys and there were sketch guys yeah. and you know like that. The desk piece guys and the sketch guys tend to be mm-hmm. the same. Conan definitely organized it, I think had the most sort of clear firewall between his monologue writers, and there was nothing more, when I was head writer of Conan, there was nothing more groan-inducing than asking one of the monologue writers, hey, look, guys, you're leaving at five, we got a big sketch and desk piece we need to ferry, do you want to hang out? And they would look at you like, because Conan would put them through their own sort of paces and rigor and hell during a day of sure. like, he would just, you know, he's he's awesome, but he would want more jokes, want different jokes, and they would be exhausted, and then I would be like, come on, we're going to be here till 11 o'clock at night, you can't leave at 5. Of course, they'd been in at 9, right. looking at the newspapers, trying to exactly. figure out what the moment was. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, um, yeah, there is that divide, though, a little bit. That's interesting. So what did yeah, you cool. what did you learn about narrative uh, in that time? Do you remember the, the lessons you had to take? Not much, honestly. Really? Which is why when I finally started doing half hours, it was kind of like, wow, I can tell a story with real characters? I mean, huh. I really have been writing... I mean, you would sustain a narrative over the through line of a sketch with a character, or you could argue that Conan and Andy were characters on the show, so you're sort of writing in their voice, mm-hmm. but there was no story, really, sure. ever. So that was like a big joy and revelation to me when I actually got to start writing half hours it was like oh I don't have to just be funny I can actually have some emotional investment I can have I can talk, think about plot it was, it was all new so I, I started doing that rel- relatively late yeah so uh, was it something you wanted to do how did you how did you get into it well I always loved late night I always loved pure comedy I always loved sketch I was a big Monty Python Kids in the Hall um, later uh, SCTV mm-hmm. um, Saturday Night Live obviously and I'm old enough to been watched it almost from the beginning mm-hmm. um, and so that stuff really and that, that was what I was doing with, with all those guys in Boston um, so I always loved that but it was a it was sort of an organic you know kind of 
segue into it. Um, and so it was, I wasn't sure I wanted to do it, but then once I did it, I was like, oh, this is kind of cool because I can be funny. And of course, if you're writing from character and, and, and situation as opposed to just coming up with this pure, odd, distilled moment of weirdness, <laughs> you can actually be really funny and it's almost easier because you're not trying to be just write the perfect, mm-hmm. abstract, brilliant joke. Yeah. Not that I ever did that, but you're, but you're filtered through characters, filtered through characters and things. moments, and yeah. you can you know you can get a laugh yeah. from a beat or a silence or a, 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 a take or sure. a, you know or or what's not said or by the audience knowing what's in the character's head, and then you know mm-hmm. you can get a laugh. You know, half of the big laughs on Raymond were just knowing what Robert was thinking. Yeah, on everybody else, Raymond, I should say what, what Robert was thinking. Um, not so much the big hard joke that anybody crafted. Yeah, I, I want to stay on this one more second, and then we'll we'll include you guys. Um, <laughs> you can edit this and include these guys in. That's right. We'll cut it all together. Yeah, exactly. Uh, do you remember the first uh, script, the first half hour script that you wrote? Yeah. What was it? It was called. Um, it ended up being called. It was called Untitled Jonathan Groff Project for a long time, <laughs> which, which you know, as these guys know, probably when you develop, is actually a smart thing to do to get your name out there. <laughs> um, but then, um, so uh, it was. It ended up being called uh, for a while. It called this could work. It was called this could work, which mm-hmm. I liked as a kind of sourly optimistic title. It was a kind of romantic comedy, mad about you setup, multi camera. Which I wasn't really watching that many multi cameras that much, except for the big ones. I, I should say I watched Raymond and Friends and. And, and Seinfeld and Will and Grace, but I was a little bit more leaning toward single camera, but they wanted me to develop a multi-camera for my first time out. Mm-hmm. And I think I overdid it on the sort of heart and emotion of it all. It was like <laughs> a kind of super sweet ending and maybe even two levels of like emotional sweet endings because I think I had been so far out in the wilderness. It's probably like yeah. a procedural hour writer all of a sudden getting to write on like a dramedy or a character, like going from... <laughs> Oh from like God. a like a CSI to like a yeah. good wife or brothers and sisters or or, or something where all of a sudden you go like yeah. wow yeah. these are people who actually have moments and so <laughs> I went through movement you character <laughs> and I went wait I belly I always joke I like bellied up to the banquet bar of like, like, a, like a Marriott brunch bar and just loaded like too much emotional from the from the carving station too many emotional beats and and, and meaning so it wasn't funny enough actually <laughs> yeah. my first script I needed to like pull some That's of that way out crazy. and actually work with I had a bunch of funny people help me and try to make it funnier when I actually shot it so, <laughs> yeah. uh, and, and I want to kind of pick up there when we move okay. on but this is a good segue mm-hmm. um, Steve you kind of it seems like you came up working in this procedural that had characters with the Chris Carter shows. I did, yeah. Um, was, was that your first kind of paying writing gigs? Uh, that was my first television gig. Um, okay. I actually started after uh, sort of a, a long and arduous um, kind of five to seven years doing terrible jobs around the entertainment industry. Um, what I, kind of terrible jobs? Uh, assistants, yeah. assistant jobs, and which I, would, I was terrible at. And I worked in the story department at TriStar Pictures, and I was a reader, a freelance reader for long, a long time, so I read a ton of scripts. Yeah, that must um, have been very instructive. Actually, at the time, it was a pain in the ass, but uh, <laughs> it was very instructive. I, I must have read over four years, I think about 2,000 scripts, oh, uh, feature scripts, geez. and most of which were just awful. And some that were very good. And so I, I sort of absorbed it by osmosis, I think, of, yeah. of at least the terrible part of it. Um, <laughs> and, uh, and then I started writing really out of desperation. Uh, I, uh, my, my wife now, who I was dating at the time, was like, so 
really? What, what's going on here? And my career was going nowhere. And so I. What did you think your career was? I thought at the I was going to be an executive. I thought oh, I was going to okay. be a creative executive. With, thank God. <laughs> I, uh, uh, not the, anything against any of the lovely creative executives that I, that I know, but uh, I was ill-suited for that. And mm-hmm. um, so I started writing, kind of out of desperation, and uh, loved it. Just thought it was the best. What, what, so why were, your, su- why were you real yeah. suited for it? I'm curious. Um, the executive I just, ranks. I think um, I, I was not enough of a go-getter in that kind of social way um, to like go and live that life. Um, I was actually had kind of the mind of a writer, I think, trying to navigate that world, and it wasn't going anywhere. Um, you really had to be aggressive in order to prove your your metal and, and get someplace at the studio. Um, it's the same, I think, at an agency. I mean, you just have to go for it, and you have to really w- want it badly. And, and I just was floundering. And so. And what was your relationship to writing before you decided to try writing? I didn't really know how to do it. And so, I mean, I had written, you know, stuff in college, but sure. nothing, you know, uh, close to a, a script or a play or anything like that. Huh. And so I, what ended up happening is I went back to... Um, to grad school. This is like, I'm floundering around. What am I going to do? Okay, let's go back to grad school and build up some debt. Um, <laughs> but I went to grad school at SC in their, producing, in their film producing program, um, the Peter Stark program. And the best thing I got out of that was I had to take a writing class. <laughs> and I wrote, you had to write like an act of a feature. And I, I was like, this is great. Why have I not been? I've been reading scripts for years. Why have I not tried this? So I sat down and I, and I started writing and feature scripts. And so... That's nuts. Uh, third script, I think it was. I got very lucky. My first script, I got an agent, uh, but didn't sell it. And my what second, kind of material were you uh, writing? Really dark, like like small, weird post-apocalyptic <laughs> stuff, and you know, very uh, strange, you know, strange little dark stories. But I, I loved kind of the mythic, the big mythic stories. And uh, then I, uh, my agent at the time, um, said, you know, you should write a big. He also represented Mike France, who had just written Cliffhanger, mm-hmm. and he said you should write. You, I, I think you could do something in that vein. Why don't you think about that? And so I, I went, okay. Well, Cliffhanger's set in the mountains. I'm going to write a script that's set in the desert. <laughs> and I'm going to do this thing. And so I wrote this this feature script that sold in, like, at, at which point I was, like, really ready to, like, find something else to do. But I wrote this feature uh, script, and this was sort of at the tail end of the spec market back in, mm-hmm. the, um, in the early 90s, mid-90s. Okay. And... All of a sudden, there was all this interest in the script, and I'd been floundering around forever, and then this feature script sells for a lot of money and just kind of put me on the map as this, you know, up-and-comer. Um, and so, and then I had a feature career that lasted about four minutes um, <laughs> where I was the middle writer on a lot of scripts and oh, sure. made a really nice living for a while yeah. um, and really but, enjoyed it. Can we talk about that yeah. for a second? Because I don't tend to talk to a lot of feature writers because mm-hmm. uh, they are, you know, lonely weirdos. Yeah, I was that. <laughs> I was definitely that. Uh, and, and is that the life? Like, you kind Pretty of much. go in and if you're the middle writer on it, you know... You have a meeting. You know, they yeah. send you a script. Hey, we're really not happy with the take on this. And it's a really kind of warped thing because you don't have any contact with the original writer. You don't have any yeah. contact with anyone who comes after you unless you happen to be the last guy. And Do you pitch on yeah, you go, you the go rewrite? In, you go in and you okay. pitch a take on the rewrite, and they talk to several people, and you do a whole bunch of work, um, and then hope that you, you're the one that gets the job. And then if you do, you go in and you execute your thing, and you, 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 uh, you know, take a couple months and do your thing. You hand it in. Usually there's a step or two involved mm-hmm. in that, and you get notes, and then you, you redo and you hand it in, and unless it's, and I never had this experience, but, you know, you get the, the, the star and then the direct, and everyone hops right. on, it becomes a thing, then you, it, it's crickets. You don't hear anything until you're on to your next job, hopefully, and, and then a month or two later you hear, oh, yeah, they went with so-and-so. 
and you're like this kind of forgotten middle writer that never gets credited and never, you know, but, but you're getting paid. So it was a really strange and sort of, I was very thankful, but it was a very thankless Right, job. you're you're making a living. Yeah, I mean it's like a really nice living. You know, I mean it it's was, like writing yeah. pilots for a living. Exactly, it's, you're making a living, but yeah. nobody's pilot, going pilot to see this. Pilot writing very much like that. Yeah, it's interesting. Um, and so then again, out of desperation, because my feature career, I had a really nice little run, and then it kind of was going nowhere. And uh, my attorney at the time said, "You know what you should do? I've, I've had this great advice from people. <laughs> he said, you know what you should do? You should really think about television. You should write some television specs and." And so I wrote tel- a couple television specs. Mm-hmm. And, and these were back when people were writing specs were writing of ex- existing yes. shows. Correct. Yep. Um, which, uh, what which did is, you write? Um, I wrote an X-Files you and did. I wrote a practice. And, uh, and they were both pretty god-awful um, now looking <laughs> back at them. But, but it was fun. I really enjoyed it and I, I, I loved kind of the serialized nature of, mm-hmm. of, you know, kind of taking these existing characters. It was a lot of fun. Um, and then uh, you, I did the thing, of course, that you're never supposed to do, which is you're never supposed to write the script for the yeah. show that you really want to get hired on. What happened, I, I got very lucky in that um, uh, the guys who were doing X-Files, Chris Carter, Frank Spotnitz, and Vince Gilligan, um, they were doing another show. Uh, this was after Millennium had gone down. They were doing a show called Harsh Realm, which was kind of a precursor to The Matrix. It was not quite that, but yeah. it was a virtual uh, reality, virtual reality yeah, kind of combat that. simulation thing. And so they hired me on that. And um, so I came in there and didn't have any idea what I was doing, but they were great. <laughs> and they, they taught me everything and allowed me to, you know, go to set and go to post and make an ass of myself. And <laughs> truly, and, and, that's, and learn. That's the best learning experience. It was great. Uh, um, how, how, I mean, it must have been like being thrown, you know, in the deep end oh, yeah. there. Yeah, very much in the deep end. So, but clearly you knew how to write. You knew what yeah, you, I knew, you had to be comfortable there. I so did, what did and you I, learn um, about television there? Oh, everything. Yeah. I learned everything from them. Um, I should say, what did you learn that you still use? Everything, truly. Yeah. Um, because I, I went to set for the first time. I'd never mm-hmm. been on an actual set um, for a production sure. before. Um, I went to post for the first time and got schooled by... Um, uh, by Producers, writer, producers, and directors who had been doing this for decades, and got to sit there and be a fly on the wall and listen to them and learn from them and say stupid things and then have them say, "No, no, no, it's not that; it's this." And you're like, oh, "Got it." Um, and so that was a great training ground. Yeah. Um, and out of that, um, the harsh realm ended up going down. But very, very fortunately, uh, it was me and uh, another guy, uh, Greg Walker, who. Mm-hmm. Uh, is now uh, uh, running Extent, several shows. Right? He's going to be running Extent, yeah, that's yeah, right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and he, uh, he and I were on Harsh Realm, and they said to us, hey, Harsh Realm's going down, but we're kind of understaffed, and would you guys like to come work on X-Files? And we're like, yeah. <laughs> so failing upward. Um, we did that, and, and we were on that show then for the last uh, three, two and a half seasons okay. of the show. And uh, that was the start of television. That's really interesting. Yeah. So, so tell me a little bit about X Files. We've had, we've mm-hmm. talked to Vince. We've talked to a number of mm-hmm. uh, X Files writers. How was it for you? What was the experience like? Uh, it was great. It was very tough. They mm-hmm. were there. Definitely was. Um, and these last seasons, too. yeah, the last seasons. That was tricky. on like seven, eight, nine. Yeah. And so um, they were the 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 hierarchy was very well set at that point. It was Chris and Frank and and Vince and John Scheiben, mm-hmm. and those were the four guys who kind of did everything. And then they had really great directors. Um, most who were in house, and um, then there was a group of us who have since we're all still working, which is great. So knock on wood, um, but uh, who were the younger writers on the show? And it was it was myself and Greg and David Amon, who has been uh, uh, running Castle, and mm-hmm. Jeff Bell, who was on Agents of Shield. He's running that, all right. and so we were all together like you know young punks in the trenches. <laughs> um, 
kind of learning and being hazed a little bit and uh, uh, you know we, we broke everything on big giant cork boards and with cards uh, uh, that had to be just so they had to be exactly perfect <laughs> and um, and I still every once in a while will break out the cards and, and break a show that way I don't do it with a whole room because you have mm-hmm. to be in a very small space mm-hmm. to uh, to use the white cards but um, how do you do it on let's say Helix uh, what we do on Helix is we break on a, on a big whiteboard yeah. but I picked up something from um, from Pan Am which I did right before that which is there's um, a magnetic uh, whiteboard mm-hmm. tiles oh, that you can right. throw up on the board and move them around, which is really helpful because yeah. otherwise you're erasing and yeah. taking stuff up and putting stuff down. So it's kind of a combo method nice. of that. Oh, I like that. I'm going to yeah. steal that. Yeah. It was really cool. It's, it's not really even cool. that really that revolutionary. No, no but <laughs> acting yeah. like well, Why are we not all using it? Why are we, why are we really using right it now? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> really great. That's funny. Yeah. Um, is, the, is the way stories were broken on X-Files... You know, I mean, you've, you've worked on a number of shows, some similar, some mm. not. I mean, Pan Am is very different from right. Lost. Uh, yeah. Was the way stories were broken on X- X-Files a fairly traditional manner? Um, I don't know. I, I don't know if it's, it's necessarily tradition. It certainly was the tradition that they did over there. I think that, that um, uh, Glenn Morgan and, and James Wong brought that over, I think. Mm. Um, I may be miscrediting them with that, but I think that was their contribution uh, back in the early days of, of the show. And everybody over there picked it up, and it became like the way that they that they broke story. I have not been on a show since that has used the index cards and the and the boards. Mm-hmm. Um, most people do use some kind of whiteboard. Um, the nice thing about using those little tiles is that otherwise you're just erasing. You're writing and writing right. and writing, and then you're erasing and of moving course. stuff around. And so, um, but I wonder about the level of detail. Like you know, we mm-hmm. when Breaking Bad was running, we went into the room a mm-hmm. couple times and talked to those guys, and like the level of detail on those. Cards is they put, well, here's my question for you because I've never, uh, I mean, I know Vince pretty well, but I don't, I was never in their room. But mm-hmm. did they have a lot of detail on, on their cards or was it just the main points on the cards and then you would riff off them and pitch off them? Because that's what we did on X Files. It is, seemed to me yeah. like there was a, a high level of detail okay. on the cards. Because our yeah. cards on X Files were very much just the kind of main the scene points is about of the scene. This. The scene yeah. is about this, this happens. And then what you would do when you were pitching is you would riff off that and say, and you would lay out the entire scene, but mm-hmm. it was not written on the card completely. Interesting. And I haven't really done much of that since, but yeah. Uh, yeah, that was that was the way they did it. All right. Uh, good. We'll, we will pick up there. Uh, Rob, let's talk about uh, early stuff. Uh, sure. Uh, you know, we touched on the Star Trek, and what were you doing before those freelance, uh, that freelance episode? I, you, I came to... Uh, I came to L.A. in the summer of 96, and uh, and was an intern and roll song. At, I love it. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I actually, I, I, I kind of had no clue what I was going to do uh, post-college, um, but was, was hooked on TV and, mm-hmm. and, and watched probably, you know, unhealthy amounts and ended up getting an internship through the TV Academy. Um, and I didn't understand it at the time, but basically the Star Trek shows would take any writing candidates. So mm-hmm. if you if you managed to get the inter- internship, that's where you would be. Hmm. So How did t- you even know about this internship? How was this even on your radar then? Uh, gosh, to go even further back. <laughs> um, my senior year, I met a TV writer. I met uh, a writer by the name of Lydia Woodward, uh, who was an alum. She came back to, uh, to my small northeastern school to, uh, to just talk about writing in general, to talk about writing for TV. I think she sort of spoke at four different places on the campus, and I kind of stalked her from you know, <laughs> venue to venue. Um, but it was kind of amazing because it had never occurred to me that people do it for a living. Uh, yeah. you know, That's I, always an interesting moment to me, that realization that, oh, people make this. Yeah, yeah. It was really, you know, obviously eye-opening. 
Um, and so I, I, I talked her ear off. I asked her a lot of questions. We stayed in touch. Uh, I went to ER very briefly over hmm. like a, a, a winter break. I was there for 10 days. And when I came here, that was really, it, it was it was helpful to meet other people pursuing the same kind of, you know, uh, work. Mm-hmm. And I think I found out about various internships when I was here. I knew there was a Disney internship and, a, and something through the Academy. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Academy was nice because there, there was a stipend attached. Uh, <laughs> most most internship, internships were free, at least at the time. So anyway, I, I, I ended up getting this internship. Uh, it landed me at Voyager, I think, in, in July. And uh, I started what was supposed to be just an eight-week internship, but had some fortunate timing in that one of the writers of the show, Ken Biller, uh, needed a new assistant. So uh, I probably wasn't supposed to be doing this, but <laughs> the last couple of weeks of my internship were also the first two weeks of my, my uh, assistantdom. Um, That's a great stroke of luck. Uh, it was, it was, all of it was remarkable luck. I mean, when I look back sometimes, you know, the odds of of meeting Lydia when I did and, you know, getting to Star Trek. That's why when, it's good to be on a show in any capacity because yeah. when that yeah. thing rolls around, that moment, you're right there. And if you do a good job and they like you, it's like, oh, Absolutely. You, can you do this? Sure. And, and those, <laughs> those roles, I mean, those assistant jobs and those PA jobs, especially like the writer's assistant jobs, are, it seems like they're more and more competitive Oh, it's it's insane. When I was when I was at Star Trek and became an assistant, I would say it was maybe sixty forty in favor of career assistants. Mm-hmm. People who worked from nine to six, they they clocked in, they clocked out, they went home. And by the way, great people, and it, it made tons <laughs> of sense. But you're right; it's completely changed. I mean, mm-hmm. a couple of years ago, I was looking around uh, the the bullpen at at Medium and kind of realized this is everyone is pursuing the same thing. There yeah. is some competition again. It, a nice group, but it was it was tough. You could feel the tension sometimes because mm-hmm. everybody everybody wants their shot. Absolutely. Sometimes too, you're not always. I mean, the tricky thing is, as a showrunner, you're not always looking for that. It, it took me a while to get used to the fact that everybody was viewing those jobs like that. I was like, I just want a good assistant. Mm-hmm. I just want somebody to answer the phone and make sure, as a, for my own assistant, to do a good job and be on top of stuff. And I was like, oh, this is. I should be reading a sample before I hire. <laughs> <laughs> my assistant, honestly, and it never even occurred yeah, to me yeah. until recently that I should be doing that, and I kind of more tend to that now, but I didn't used to as much. But that's sort of the the balancing act that people in that role have to yeah. do. I mean, you still have to be a good assistant, yeah. or right. you're never going to get the opportunity <laughs> right. to do yeah. the other thing. Exactly. You know? At least now, just like, are you a writer? Are you working on stuff good? I'm not going to necessarily just... Right. But I, you know, I it's, it's tricky because it's sort of... I, I didn't necessarily get when I first came out here that that's, which is stupid because the writer's assistant Kona wanted to be a writer so I don't know why I wouldn't think that <laughs> it's, it's, yeah. everyone has one of those moments where they remember like the first time they saw it, it's like you can do that? Really? Yeah, 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 yeah. A job, really? Do you remember what that was for you? Um, it was, I think it was finding out uh, back when I was out, so I'm working in the, as a reader at TriStar mm-hmm. Pictures and Mike France was one of our readers <laughs> and um he sells this spec script, and it's in the trades. And I was like, what? and I read it, and I'm like, this is great. This is really, really good. And I'm like, Mike, did you, are you a mountain climber? Are you, how did you know how to do this? Seriously, I thought it was so well-researched. And he's like, no, I just read a couple books. And you know, I was like, really? <laughs> and so that got me thinking, maybe I can, but it still took me a little while. Right. But that was the moment but that's the light when bulb. I was like, yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, I'm a little you, slow. A little do slow you remember that as well? Like, just growing up watching TV or watching movies? And having that moment of this is something that is willfully created. 
Well, I remember. I mean, I was. I watched tons of TV hours and and mm-hmm. half hours. I do remember more in the half hours. Partly just because you know, just almost because I like to absorb information. Like Mary Tyler Moore, Ed Period Weinberger. There's a guy named Ed Period Weinberger who has something to do with that yep. show, or uh, the, the Tandem Productions, Yorkin and Lear, and all that, and, and Saul Turtletaub and Bernie Orenstein, and all those names of those guys who wrote all those sitcoms that yeah. I grew up on. So I, I knew that they were written. I mean, I think things like monologues and stuff. I sort of maybe assumed Johnny Carson wrote his own mm-hmm. monologue and stuff but that in somewhere in um I was so slavishly devoted to Saturday night live that and a friend of mine's older brother was at NYU and was taking a writing class that maybe Marilyn Suzanne Miller or Ann Beats or somebody had had guest lectured in mm. uh, we of course like immediately were like sophomores in high school tried to like <laughs> work, can we would you Hand, you know, this terrible customs oh, no. customs desk sketch that we've written, you know, where the customs officer ignores the obvious druggy guy and then hassles the little old lady. Like, we thought that was brilliant. Um, and we said, please hand this to Marilyn. I think it was Marilyn Suzanne Miller had, like, maybe she was even t- guest teaching or something because I think they have, those writers didn't get mm-hmm. paid anything. This was in 77 or something yeah. like that, 78. So I think people still weren't making much money on those contracts that. Uh, writing contract, so yeah, she might have been teaching be at NYU as just a moonlight. But uh, so I, I knew by then, and I think you know I was so into to Monty Python that I knew those guys wrote. But I think there was a sense that writers performers that they all could. Yeah. But I guess I didn't think that Mary Tyler Moore didn't have writers, or you mm-hmm. kind of knew about Norman. Norman Lear became larger than life on, mm-hmm. uh, and Carl Reiner obviously on, on Dick Van Dyke Show, which I loved as a kid, was sort of you knew that that came from. The voice of one person. You, what you didn't really know was maybe how many people it took to write these shows. Mm-hmm. I think there's still a perception out there, oh, of like, yeah. oh, the, so you wrote an episode. I mean, certainly in comedy, you know, it's like you, when there's somebody's name on a show written by, like, mm-hmm. yeah, but, <laughs> right, exactly. I mean, yeah. unless it's Seinfeld and it was Larry David, right. or you know, some highly specific thing, or some cable show where there's just a couple of writers and right. one person's voice. But it's like, you know, on Happy Endings, where I was, like, it says written by, written by Jonathan Groff, but it's like. I wrote yeah. a draft of it, but then we all beat it up and punched it, right. and yeah. it's so many voices in there. Yeah. I was um, going to mention uh, Happy Ending specifically. I mm-hmm. mean, my, my writing partner and I would talk about that show as, you know, this has to be written by the room. Mm-hmm. They use every joke that's pitched. Yeah, And it's Very like oh, the pace of that show was really phenomenal. And alienating is another way of putting it. <laughs> Listen, <laughs> failure, we loved failure it. Failure-inducing. <laughs> did people not respond to it? Did they have a problem with Oh, we had a lot pace? of... Fa- uh, some people did. Really? I think people who liked it really liked it. So we had I mean, our... It feels like that's the speed at which sitcoms should be. <laughs> it does, I think, to some extent. It, it's the speed at which sitcoms could be if you want to really pay attention and watch TV. It's a 30 Rock pace. It's a... Yeah. It's a a lot of people have that pace now, Mindy Project or mm-hmm. whatever, but it isn't uh, necessarily a pace that's going to get you an enormous mm-hmm. network size, it's not reliable. Pace. Maybe. It's a little bit of work. Yeah. Like when you watch Arrested Development, and I'm not comparing, I'm, I would say defer to certainly 30 Rock and Arrested Development mm-hmm. as you know, landmark iconic shows that I, would never, that I would never compare happy endings to, but pace wise, we did bring it fast. So just mm-hmm. community, you know? And, yeah. and I think the Russos who directed the pilot really push for that because they were coming for community and I like that style just fast mm-hmm. fast 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 but you know it is it's sometimes going to feel like, like a little bit like work 
I think, for people um, to keep up. Like, I, I sometimes I would have Arrested Developments back up on my VCR or my VCR, my DVR, and be like, "That was the problem." I was watching them on my VCR, uh, on my DVR, and uh, uh, and I and I would be like, "You know, I, I'm not sure I'm up for watching yeah, them right, right now I because because it's a like a, yeah, yeah. which is why multi camera sitcoms, you know, yeah. still have the biggest audience. I think because. They have that audience there to do some of your work for you, mm-hmm. and you can watch it. You can watch six minutes of one, and then make a school, make a, your kids' lunch, or take a phone call, or check the internet, and come back, and you still kind of follow the gist of it. So yeah. If you don't, mm-hmm. if you checked out a Happy Endings or Thirty Rock, or even like a, a super fast-paced sitcom like Seinfeld. Especially Seinfeld reruns where they edit out key stuff <laughs> for, for time, you're lost. Yeah. You know, that's the that's the amazing thing to me that Seinfeld was as big as it is, being as dense and fast paced mm-hmm. and and weird as it was. That's interesting. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's a good point. I, I actually want to talk about this, and I didn't mean to cut you off, uh, Rob, oh, no. but I want to kind of jump ahead uh, with you specifically because I think you can speak to this, but I think you all can. You know, you've worked on. Very popular shows. You've worked on not so popular shows, but well, <laughs> beloved shows. Um, and and Rob, you're currently running a very popular network show. Um, just finishing up the second season. Is there a difference in the approach to the show? Uh, you know, even the creation of it from you know something like you know you worked on. I, I don't know. I'll I'll pick something. True Calling is is one right. Like that had a small but. Passionate, passionate uh, audience, fan base, absolutely. Yeah, uh, but you know, I'm not saying are you looking to create something for the masses because we go into TV because we do want to create something for the masses. But is it a different mindset in you know no, working I, you on know, a show I mean, like I can, those? I can, I'm very, very happy to report that it, it just doesn't factor in. You know, it never hmm. factored in in the beginning before you know if people are going to like it and tune in. That's and, true. you know, by the time you start airing, you've written, you know, gosh, I, <laughs> I want to say five or six. I hope it was five or six. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know, you've, you have found your, your pace. You have, uh, you know, you've weathered lots of notes and input. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's the trickiest part, actually. I found, I found in the first season of Elementary, it was getting, it was the buildup. Once you've premiered and once there's a reaction... Uh, I, I felt a lot of pressure lift away because, hmm. and, and that's if the ratings are good. <laughs> yes, yeah, yeah. Luckily, the, luckily the ratings were good, uh, and and nobody had to sort of worry about what might happen <laughs> anymore. Yeah. Um, so uh, so no, it, it, it I've, I've really only ever worked. Uh, you've got my resume there, so I'm, <laughs> you can correct me if I'm wrong. But I've only ever worked on network shows. Mm-hmm. Uh, so so, so I mean, it's 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 what I know. I guess it's certainly been my experience. So mm-hmm. I, I didn't feel like I had to, you know, change anything up for Elementary. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's also, I mean, Elementary. Looking at the stuff you've worked on here, Elementary is, uh, I guess, Medium was this way too, but a lot more uh, episodic than some of the stuff that came before. I mean, I was interested to see how much like sci-fi and kind of nerdy stuff was on your early resume. Oh wow, yeah, that's. Uh, we said we'd get to this. Oh no, no, no! <laughs> by by all means, um, I think I thought when I got here I would be a sci-fi writer forever. Uh, I mean, oh, it's funny. it's what I was drawn to. It was. I mean, I was watching a ton of X Files at the time. <laughs> uh, I think Briscoe County Junior may have been <laughs> on the air around the same time. <laughs> but I mean, like, there were there were some great little X Files is not little, but there were some great sci-fi yeah. uh, shows around. 
I was drawn to those. Uh, it was again, it was dumb luck that it, that I ended up at Star Trek. I didn't know that's where I was headed, but again, it was I felt like I was in the right place. Um, and there were incredible writers there at the time. Uh, I've already mentioned Ken Biller, but Ron Mora was there, Brandon Braga was there, mm-hmm. uh, Jerry Taylor was the showrunner, and she was always you know a great supporter. Um, Renee Echevarria, Ira Bear. So it was just uh, you know. It, Virtually everyone on those two staffs, when I started, went on to create and run their own shows. Yeah. So uh, I I learned a lot. Um, yeah, no, I'm sure. I mean, we hear we actually hear a lot about the different Star Treks in this kind of mid '90s, late '90s, sure. and the way that different rooms were run and the different tenors in different rooms. Uh, what was? Do you remember what the the kind of collective uh, personality of the room was? Gosh, you know, um, when it started, at least at least when I was there, Jerry Taylor had co-created the show with mm-hmm. Michael Piller, um, but Brannon was also being groomed to sort of take over. Jerry was on the verge of retirement. She and her husband were going to move uh, upstate. Um, so I don't know that I ever really had a basis for comparison. You know, I think Jerry was preparing Brannon for that, and I got to sort of... <laughs> Hang out. I don't think I appreciated what I was seeing when I was when I was seeing it. Um, you know, I learned a lot more a couple of years later when Ken took over the show in the mm-hmm. last year. And you know, by then Ken and I were were very close. And I'd written a few freelancer freelancers uh, scripts, and uh, that was really interesting to to be working under Ken the first time he was running a show. Sure, you know, I, I I picked up a lot through osmosis. <laughs> I realized right away how how difficult it was. Uh, and, you know, I learned stuff that I still apply to, you know, to, to, to the job I'm doing now. Yeah, what kind of thing? I mean, Steve touched on mm-hmm. some of that stuff, but what kind of things did you pick up in those early rooms? Ah, uh, boy. You know, this will sound silly, but uh, catching your breath. I mean, not, 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 this is not really about the room. I would say just as far as, you know, as far as running a show. Mm-hmm. Um, I realized, I, I was, I was... I was blown away sometimes by how much stuff comes at you and, and how many directions it can it can come from. Sure. Uh, and I, you know, I would marvel watching Ken do it at Star Trek. I would marvel watching Glenn, Karen do it at Medium. Um, it's uh, it's crazy. And yet, if you you know if if you snap, if you let <laughs> if you let anyone see how frustrated yeah. you really are. Mm. Uh, uh, you can do damage to your, you know, to to, to yourself and of sometimes course. the show. So, uh, really, uh, that's like I said, that's that's more about show running. I mean, as far as, far as the room goes, like at, at, at Star Trek, it was a, it was a room based show. Mm-hmm. I think Deep Space Nine was as well. Mm-hmm. Um, really, what I you know at Elementary, it's it's funny. Even though I came up through through room room based shows. Uh, I like a lot of private time and independent study. Um, I wanted to ask about this. Oh, we've, sure. We've, we've talked to a couple of elementary writers, and I was surprised to learn that it's not so room intensive, um, knowing that you had come up in these room-based shows. And a lot of these shows that are not room intensive don't like to talk about it. I would say, like, I am, I am incrementally more introverted, perhaps, than your, <laughs> than your average showrunner. And sometimes I struggled in the rooms, you know? I would say, like, I, I, I was more on the quiet side, but I knew that as soon as I got out of there, I could go write, you know, a good draft. Mm-hmm. And, and I, I would try to bring things into the room. You know, I hated it. If it was my episode and everybody was gathering to sort of group think something <laughs> into existence, that was, I would get very nervous about yeah. that. So I would take advantage of, of what, you know, 
you know, weekends or, you know, before work or after work to, to generate material, bring it into the room. And then I sort of felt a little more control because mm -hmm. the odds of me, you know, striking gold in the middle of the day in a room full of people, it, like the odds were just so slim, but that was just, just had more to do with, uh, with, with my own neuroses. Sure. Well, I, feel like I think that's what you want your writers to do is yeah. to, is to own the stories and to really sure. come in with material and not just wait. It's kind of the death. If you just wait for the room to, okay, we're going to finish breaking the story and it's going to be my episode, but I haven't, I'm not ready to really push it forward. Mm. And I always felt when I was on staffs, so I always felt a lot of pressure to do that. And I try to encourage people to come in with more and to, if it's your episode, come in and be ready to, you know, have pushed the, the rock up the hill a little bit more so that we can yeah. then talk about that. You, you really can get back hours of your day. And for every sure. day, <laughs> those, you know, yeah. you start to, you start to add up that time. Uh, it's, it's significant. Uh, it's funny. I think sometimes people don't like to, I think people who love rooms can sometimes bristle at the idea of not having one and vice versa, mm -hmm. but it's all good. You know, at the end of the day, it's, it's whatever works. And, you know, at, at Medium, I was I was at Medium for six years, and and the first three of those years we were room based, mm -hmm. and I was in the room every day, and and Renee Echeverria was running that room, on, you know, uh, Glenn Karen did not come in very much, so right. it was really Renee's room to run, uh, and then when Renee left, uh, and my friend Craig and I were were handling that that uh, that part of the job. We found we, we were more efficient uh, when we broke off into smaller groups or even, you know, the smallest group you can get to, which is just individual writers <laughs> in, uh, in their offices thinking about stuff. Mm -hmm. um, and would then those individual writers come and pitch to you guys or pitch to... Yeah, you know, yeah. Anyone who felt they sense. were closing in on something, uh, it was just a matter of, of letting us know, you know? I mean, sometimes it was just, uh, you know, a pitch over coffee in the kitchen. Mm -hmm. um, for whatever reason, I can't quite put my finger on it. It's it's become more of a written uh, submission style <laughs> at elementary. It must be uh, so quiet in your offices. It, well, the offices are, are <laughs> it's, it's a weird uh, it's a weird building, so it's quiet for a lot of reasons. <laughs> but uh, uh, no, I mean we we just try to like we wait until something is ready to bake, and mm -hmm. then we'll go into the room and we'll spend. You know, it's funny. The last oh, few right, weeks we've spent sense. a lot more time in the room. I couldn't tell you exactly why, but. Um, but it's really just about making sure you have something. Because I still, you know, even now, I don't feel like I could just, you know, lead a group of ten people into a room and, and you know, unfold a story in front of them. Do you, I, you, know. do you think it would work on a serialized show, on a, on a straight serialized, like, hmm. straight ahead, being able to do that? Because I, I think definitely with episodic... It so much harder. Yeah, yeah. on episodic, yeah. It's, you can say it's all right. self-contained. It's going to have a start yeah. and an end and, and all that. And like, um, we, we definitely, I mean, we have serialized aspects of right. the show, but nothing mm -hmm. like, you know, a, a really proper right. serialized mm -hmm. show. So for us, it's a little easier to sort of go, you know, by, by show six, right. Sherlock is sort of at this place with his, yeah. you know. His and I would assume and, you touch every script anyway, so that's the stuff that you can kind of hone uh, yeah, it's as it's you go. it's something I, I will, you know, I'll definitely tweak and nudge. I'm always happier when I... When I when I don't and what, you know lucky for me a lot of times I don't have to I don't, I don't have to do much wrangling so yeah, yeah. Um, let's talk about rooms you guys have been in uh, what are some of the more functional rooms and <laughs> what do you think made them so um, I I would say they've all been functional I mean the show's got done I, I don't think I've ever been in a room where ultimately you didn't get a, mm -hmm. you know a, a, a really good story out of it and and someone went off to script um, uh, some of the rooms were less fun than others uh, what makes are, a fun room. Uh, the freedom to be able to say something stupid um, and not have it be like, you know, oh, no, that wasn't, you know, the right thing to do. Um, 
uh, yeah, it, it's the fear, I think, in a, in a room is not a good thing. Uh, but there is pressure, and, mm -hmm. and certainly you don't want to say the stupid thing, but sometimes you have to in order to get to the good thing. And so I just encourage people, yeah. I try to encourage people, just go ahead and say the weird thing. and then. But there also has to be a line where you say, okay, at a certain point, I'm going to make a decision that's going to go left. And then we're all going to jump on board with that and hug it and <laughs> love it and, and move to the left. And that right. is that can be a hard thing for people. But the, the, yeah. the point of doing the room, if you have a room, is to have that discussion and to be able to, for me to listen, for other people to listen, and to hopefully come up with the best idea. Mm -hmm. It's tough, though. I mean, I will say, especially as, you know, I've I've been in rooms, comedy rooms and drama rooms, and as I still feel like I'm new to it, and it's hard to know when to speak. Mm -hmm. You know, it's hard to know when to say that stupid idea. Uh, you, just the other day, we were in a room. Mm -hmm. uh, I was lucky enough to be in a room with Jonathan. Mm -hmm. And, like, I was sitting on stuff. I'm like... I don't. Is but this too speak, stupid? Yeah. <laughs> you know, I, I mean, w tell me what you guys have learned from that. And I, there's probably it's, no answer. It's tough. And there's, uh, it's funny. I, uh, someone gave me once a, um, a, a cartoon, and it was like all the different types of people in the room, um, <laughs> which is really hysterical because you do run into all these different types of people who, you know, who just pair it back or that they're waiting for this or that they're, you know, and, and I, I'm guilty of this one. The, um, uh, the person who, like, a lot of times in a room, because I'm just not as, as facile and, and quick sometimes in the room, uh, so I would know, like, on CSM Miami that something didn't work. Hmm. It just didn't feel like the show. Uh, and, and most of the time I was right about that. But if you say, well, I don't think that's quite the way to go, but then you don't have something to re replace it with, yeah. a lot of room don't. leaders and showrunners get really angry. Don't and um, Don't pitch yeah. problems. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and, and that's, a, that's a tough thing. Um, and I had to learn that the hard way. Really? You can yeah. pitch a problem, but you should have. Yeah, have a pitch. Yes, always. Yeah, at least a pitch. Yep. Yeah, at least a yeah a way in. I would say, like, I do remember very clearly, like, being just white knuckled and afraid <laughs> to speak up, lest you say something that doesn't track or doesn't. Yeah. Um, I wish I could remember when when I it, it, maybe this sounds silly coming from someone who doesn't really have a proper room based show, but <laughs> but you've been but in at a certain enough point. Of them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, like, I, you do pass some sort of threshold, and you sort of. Mm -hmm you feel comfortable enough in your own skin and you have a good enough sense of the show and the people you're working with to just start talking and there's no harm in it. And it's yeah. like you mm -hmm. said, if, if you feel like you're in a safe place, I mean, that makes a, mm -hmm. <laughs> that makes a huge, huge difference. Uh, and a comedy room can be particularly uh, intimidating. Well, you're trying to, yeah, you're not just pitching a, a story or a, a, a plot thing or a character beat or something, but you're trying to be funny and do something funny. It can be intimidating, although... I th I have as a uh, you know having run rooms have a higher tolerance for just hearing everything because no matter how stupid it is so I think people feel pretty free to talk mm -hmm. because at the very least you know it'll be fodder for us making fun of you or, <laughs> or for me exactly getting made right. fun yeah. of for the stupid yeah. thing I pitch I think it takes you know a a a room runner showrunner person in charge who's able to kind of graciously hear it and move mm -hmm. on and not be annoyed that it is wasting time and also yeah, sure. has a firm sense of it's a combination of firm sense of where you want to go and a kind of even if an, an instinct of what you're trying to get done even if you can't aren't there yet and don't have the the path um coupled with an openness to hearing um things and mm -hmm. that's tricky because you don't always have it sometimes you're just like that's dumb and i don't want to hear that right now and don't don't blow this up don't blow you know I right. there's some writers very near and dear to me who really have a tendency to kind of go. What if you just do this? Or this? Oh, yeah, but we have all. I used to call it in uh, 
and, and this can be dangerous, you know, what I would call it, like, we have, we've established some dry land, mm. you know, mm. in this area, so yeah. let's not, like, flood that with other stuff. <laughs> right. You know, let's, let's, let's claim victory there and move yeah. on. Yeah. But then there are times where you go, like, you know what, the dry land is causing your problem later on, right. and you have to be big enough to go, like, I was wrong. I thought we had that beachhead. I thought that was safe, mm. and we should keep that area, but you know what? We need to set it up differently, and we need to get that story Rebroken, and that's when it's really you're kind of, and you have to be big enough to kind of go like, I was wrong. I I, I took mm. us down a path, and, and I've done that. I've, sure, I was committed to certain routes on episodes, especially early episodes, early in a series, where you go like, we have to pay this off for the audience. We need hmm. to play, we, and, and you do, and it's just like this isn't in a comedy. It's like this isn't funny, or we don't really need to repilot as much as we thought we did, or that's not the direction this character should go. And you have to, and it, and I I cost shows I've been in charge of time, you know, doing that. But sure. we have to kind of at some point go like this isn't working and we need to we need to get rid of it. Yeah, you know, it's a terrible feeling when you have all that work. Yeah. You know, and you go, Absolutely. Oh man, I just I was wrong. I but at I, least you have the wisdom to to know that it's wrong and to go, okay. Yeah. Well I don't always. Other times you just jam it and you go like, <laughs> yeah. we'll make it work. And the comedy, the good thing is you can sometimes just tap dance with jokes and a uh, funny right. thing that people do a lot remember. Of patching over. You do so, yeah, you patch it with some jokes and some moments and you kinda get away and you go like, Oh right, we shouldn't have had that whole <laughs> twist in the second act was stupid, but you know, and or it's you know, it's the worst is an episode where you have like an A and a B story that really are singing, and then you're or, or an A and a C story, and then your B story just stinks. And you <laughs> go like, uh, "What do we do?" And you kind of realize it too late, and you have this mm. turd in the middle of a nice episode. <laughs> <laughs> that happens. You guys have all run your own shows as well as other people's shows. Um, is there a difference for you? You know, being a caretaker versus the creator. Definitely, I've only been the caretaker. You have not run your own. I've only been the caretaker. I have. I've written a lot of pilots that uh, yeah. have not gone, and uh, someday I, I, I hope to do that. But yes, I've well, only good. been you the can, caretaker. You can tell Steve. Yeah, please tell me. <laughs> tell me. I look forward to it with great. Uh, what the difference is, um, if there is one? Yeah. It, uh, so I, I can't answer that because I'm always the caretaker. <laughs> well, I, I really do. I mean, it's the caretaker side that I'm actually interested in um, coming in, whether it's you know from the very beginning or halfway through the season or whatever it is to work on a show that is not your baby, that is not something that you created. Uh, And oftentimes working with the creator of the show who maybe isn't in a position to be the showrunner. Tell me about that relationship and tell me about, you know, captaining that ship. It's complicated. You know, it takes, it takes, uh, it takes, it takes a lot of uh, skill on the part of the person captaining and, and, and show running, but it also takes a unique person who can allow it, allow you to do that. Mm-hmm. And I got very, very lucky on Happy Endings, which mm-hmm. is the, the place I really, where I did it the most. David Cast created it and super smart, fast learner and was really co-running the show with me very quickly. We also had two really, really great other high-level writers, Gail Lerner and Josh Bicell, who Josh Bicell by the second season was really running the show with us, He's, wow. and he was great. great. And How so, big a room did you guys have on Happy? Endings? We had a pretty big staff. We had a lot of. We had a couple good upper level names like Gail and Josh, and then um, um, David Cast really wanted to get some newer voices in there, and so we took a chance on some you know cool. younger comedy te- writing teams, and so we had a pretty. And then Sony and ABC Studios, especially Sony, were really good about you know. Um, putting people on deals. So we had David Grasio and Moses Port, who were right. big showrunner yeah. creator guys who were really funny. And they weren't in all the time, but they were really a great extra voice. Hillary Winston, they lent mm-hmm. to us, came off of Community, and she was really 
good. So we had some good support. Mm. Sony especially really wanted to make that show work. ABC Studios on half of it, primarily because of my involvement. So we had some ABC Studios people too, mm. but that's it was, a lot of it was Sony. That's oh, and, and I'm not even naming all of them. Yeah. We had mm. we had a lot of people. Um, so did you guys break up into rooms? Absolutely. So having those high level and having three of yes, them and, and, and especially in season, valuable. really all three seasons, Josh Bicell really excelled at like mm. he goes he took it on him to be I will be the story engine of this show which wow. was fantastic and he fantastic. would yeah. he would go and take five people in <laughs> the story lounge we had which was just a sort of big open that sounds great it was not great but it was back breaking terribly uncomfortable couches we actually oh. bu- we actually put one couch on top of two coffee tables so we had like weird stadium seating for a while like an elevated couch which was highly oh unsafe probably <laughs> yeah. but Josh and you know and, and Gail a lot too Gail Lerner um, and, and Hillary uh, would a lot of times really shoulder the burden of taking that and a couple other younger writers or mid-level writers mm-hmm. and really breaking stories and then bring me and David Caspian because David was very you know he and I really would spend a lot of time on the rewrites David was very meticulous on the rewrites, and David also loved to be in editing, and was great at it. And um, and so we would kind of rotate Josh, David, and I. Um, those and Gail again first two seasons. Then we had John Fenner, who's Josh writing, Josh Bicell's writing partner, um, and they're developing and running a pilot now mm-hmm. with Amy Poehler um, for NBC. Um, he helped out a lot in that too and we had Eric Summers our last season we really I can't ever complain to the studios we didn't have the manpower <laughs> but yeah Josh really took that leadership and that's hard to do because story yeah. is nobody likes it honestly <laughs> it's a, well, yeah, in, a, in a, comedy a comedy room it's like, I just want to write jokes yeah. and I just want to be in the rewrite and like you know breaking a story it's like fuck I got stuck <laughs> in that room and but Josh kept it fun and he pitched he really knew how to do it and he was I mean I can't thank him enough and we would I would also then we would break stories to other rooms and when we got chance and he didn't do it all but he really took it on him so <laughs> um, but I you know I I we did a lot of it and then a lot of times you know we would real the thing where you just realize that the story didn't work until too late and then you have to fix it at the script stage which well you guys were also on that show specifically had a lot to juggle uh, there are a lot of characters and uh, a yeah. lot of action. Six characters, and all funny. I mean, all distinct, so kind of co-equals. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I think I look at Modern Family, and I'm amazed that they have they service all those kids in every episode. <laughs> I, I, my, I, I know, and I would have been the wrong thing to do, but if I had been running that show or had a voice in that show, I'd be like, okay, so we make those, immediately make those kids, like, recurring, and they pop in once at 6, <laughs> 7 out school. of 13. Yeah. They go off to boarding school, and they committed to having all those kids represented, plus all those couples. It's amazing. That's true. That's huge. Yeah, <laughs> and they really there's. I don't think they ever do an episode where there's where you don't see Luke. It's like wow, if I would have, Luke would be like, <laughs> getting you know day player rates at this point. Right. And it would be wrong. That's why I didn't. Why I don't have my own hit show. Uh, let's talk about Helix. I okay. want to hear about Helix. Sure, sure. Uh, this is again a show that you didn't create, but you've right. been brought in to run. Yeah, I've I would done... imagine you have a pretty small staff on it. A pretty small staff. Um, we're really constrained uh, budget-wise yeah. uh, on that show, and so I would like to have a slightly bigger staff, but we just didn't. So we started off with, I think we had five writing entities. We had a, a team, a young team. Mm-hmm. Um, it was great, uh, but uh, there were five of us, I think, and then we had some shuffling kind of in the middle of the season, and uh, Sony, again, came in and helped us out a ton, mm-hmm. and they loaned us a couple people, um, the primary uh, being Ed Dector, who, uh, who came in and kind of um, uh, I I was uh, finding myself doing a lot of rewriting, and so Ed came in and kind of took over our room, and just mm. 
drove it uh, like the madman he is, and uh, did a great job. And so um, that was it's it's been it's been a uh, probably one of the more fun shows I've worked on, um, just because it's so weird. Um, and 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 Sci-Fi and Sony, to their credit, have allowed us to be weird and to do things that are a little crazy and not. Hmm. You know, kind of and, and be off the beaten path. Like, what's what's an example of that? Because it um, seems like it never seems like well, things are coming off, from out of the blue on it. Well, I mean, but it starts off as a show about a viral outbreak mm-hmm. uh, in the Arctic, and so there's many, many ways you can take that. And um, and, I, and I forgot to mention Ron Moore, of course, who is mm-hmm. is you know one of our EPs. And you know, when we were sitting in in post, um, uh, Cameron Porcande wrote the the pilot script, and um, it was it could have gone in any number of directions. And when we were sitting in post, and Ron's like. You know, maybe we over this instead of just doing regular score, we play a song, and we started all talking amongst ourselves, and it became "Do You Know the Way to San Jose," yeah. which was the weirdest song to play over that <laughs> moment, this horror moment um, in the teaser, and it kind of made it, made us go, "Oh, you know, that's cool, that can work." And so we started doing a lot of weird stuff, story wise, editing, music music choices, yeah. and just sort of tried to make the show stand on its own and be really unique and not mm-hmm. like anything else that's really out yeah, there. Yeah, it certainly so, had a yeah. voice, and mm-hmm. I think that's, you know, that's why it has this great fan base who's yeah, very vocal, I, think, I was telling yeah, you. Yeah, our, our, our fan base is, is uh, small but loyal. They're, they're pretty <laughs> rabid, and um, we love them, and just, you know, tell all your friends. Um, but And people should. I mean, yeah. I'm sure it'll be on Netflix or whatever, and, like, taken together, I think I watched the first couple episodes mm-hmm. and was like, I gotta watch a bunch at a time. It's, uh, uh, it's pretty weird. It's really and out fun. There. Yeah, thanks. Thank you. Um, but we... Uh, yeah, it's it's any time that you that you are coming in to do this kind of uh, uh, the stewardship of the show mm-hmm. uh, w- with the creator, it's always kind of a tricky dance. It's a, it's an arranged marriage, really, yeah. and you're hoping that it works out. Sometimes it works out great, sometimes not so much. Um, but you hopefully find a working method. Sometimes um, it's just a, a not a good fit voice wise. It's not a good fit personality wise, mm-hmm. and then sometimes it works great. And uh, um, I've had both those situations, and uh, you know, unfortunately, none of the shows have have been. I've I've done more like one season, sh- you know, out <laughs> shows uh, in the last few years, um, and so it's nice to at least have the possibility of a second season, uh, which we haven't heard about yet, but we're hoping. Yeah, I, I listen. I'm calling it right now. Thank you. <laughs> it's looking good. I'm with you. Call five. Uh, yes. Uh, tell me just for a second about a breaking story on that mm-hmm. show because it, it's so serialized, so serialized like, and yeah. it's it's unstoppable too. Yeah, we um, <laughs> we break in a room and we um, we kind of go in and uh, we had tent poles that we kind of said along the way. Okay, we're going to try to hit this here and that there. Mm-hmm. Um, we had a very interesting thing happen. Um, interesting. It's, I say interesting now. It was horrific at the time, um, which is we were initially thinking the show was going to move at a much slower pace and be much more of kind of a slow burn kind of show. Um, and we weren't really going to let the virus go public until like halfway through the season. And we pushed all this stuff kind of toward the end. And as we were breaking our first shows, sci-fi, um, and they were probably right about this, but it really threw us a, threw us for a loop, uh, came in and said, hey, we want this stuff to happen faster. We hmm. want we want to get there. We want, And so we were like... Eight broken stories. Oh, oh my god! Yeah, it was it was awful. That that part was awful. Yeah. Um, and but we did it, and so it, we were kind of behind uh, at that point, and we mm-hmm. kept the train running. We didn't have to shut down, which was really lucky. How did that happen though? That they didn't know? Did they they had heard all the stories, been like, "This is fine. This is good," and all of a sudden they well, decided. They were getting, yeah. yeah, they were getting. What had happened is we were we were actually we had a really nice kind of groove going, and we were breaking. We didn't have eight outlines or anything like that, but we had written three outlines. And so what happened was they had the pilot, of course, and the show was picked up to thirteen. It wasn't yeah. picked up. As a, as a pilot so we were one of the more difficult things I've ever done which is you are casting and 
uh, kind of figuring out what the show is in the pilot at the same time that you're pushing the rest of the show forward and breaking two, three, four, and on down the road. Because usually, at least in, you know, in the pilot process, there's a couple months in between, mm-hmm. and you can only work on the pilot, and then you have a little bit of time, and then you're picked up and you and you launch in. Well, this was doing all of it at the same time, and I knew it was going to be hairy, but it was uber hairy um, because we were really getting yanked in a lot of directions, yeah. as you as what happens on any first year show. And so they said, Sp- pick it up. And so mm-hmm. our pilot didn't change a whole lot at that point, but the second and third episodes got tossed. Uh, the, the outlines got tossed. And so then we were re-breaking at that point to have stuff happen quicker. Yeah. I think it was probably the right call um, so did the, in hindsight, it, but boy, did that hurt. When you guys had to restart, was it sort of about, like, well, now these tent poles that were going to be three and mm-hmm. eight are yeah, now, now two and three. Exactly. It's like the thing that was going to happen That's in episode wild. six now had to happen in episode two. And there's um, a big question mark. Yeah, now, now, now where do we go? Yeah, exactly. Um, and we did, you know, with any of these really serialized shows, you don't know exactly where you're going. You mm-hmm. have a general roadmap. I, I, someone told me once that it's like, um, you know that you're going from Los Angeles to New York, but you don't quite know how you're going to get there. <laughs> and you think you're going to end up in New York. You may take a, you know, you may go to Cleveland. You may <laughs> go to Texas. <laughs> Uh, but you, you kind of figure that out on the way, and that's kind of the beauty of, of working with writers and figuring that stuff out. Um, but in this case, it was about the the kind of pacing and the speed of, of the show, which really had to pick up. And so we did that, and, you know, somehow we're still standing. Could, could you Frankenstein things together? Yeah. I mean, like once some, was, some uh, but there was a lot that we couldn't. I mean, we had full storylines that were just based on the slow burn that we're like, okay, maybe we can save like the intent of this, but story-wise, it's not going to make any sense anymore because now, all of a sudden, you know, we were going to announce that the virus was out and people were going to kind of be in the dark and being lied to up till episode five, six, and then, oh, my God, there's a virus here, and all of a sudden it became that in, like, the second episode. Um, wow. or, or they knew already up front, and then we were in quarantine by episode three, and so, yeah, it really That's steamrolled. There, and there has to be some concern, although... Maybe not, that the nature of the show will change. You know, if you speed things up like that, if you're looking at a second season, I don't even know if you consider a second season while you're just trying to write the first yeah, eight. Yeah, no, you're, 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 you're thinking about it. Like, in the back of your mind, yeah. if we get the pickup, boy, it sure would be nice to do this. The nice thing about that show um, is that it was conceived as one episode a day. And so it's right. 13 episodes, 13 days, and we play it pretty close to, mm-hmm. to, to that kind of 24-hour period. And so it really moves. Mm-hmm. Um, and then... For a second season, if we are so fortunate, um, what we would like to do is actually—I mean, we've, uh, we want to—we want to pick up and open the world nice. in a different place. Cool. Yeah. Um, I want to before we wrap up uh, talk about mysteries and and writing mystery and how do you keep it interesting? How do you keep it about character? Uh, and I want to talk about Andy Barker specifically. Oh, wow. <laughs> Nobody ever wants to talk about that. Come on. <laughs> Listen, it's the only reason Touch you're here. Uh, I love that show. Uh, it was such a great show. And, uh, you know, not just obviously the writing was terrific, but it was a great looking show. And it was a show Jason that... Jason did a great job directing that. It's good that his name is out there. Because yeah. uh, it really, like, it, it was a show that didn't look like other things on the air. And I think it was very ahead of its time. Uh, that show you could see in the current landscape, I feel like. Yeah. Wow. You should just keep, just keep talking. It's <laughs> <laughs> this um, little gem of a show that I love, but it's so, like, it feels so forgotten. And well, let's, let's talk about it for a minute. Sure. I mean, uh, I mean the DVDs It only ran for there. six episodes, I mean, barely, so it, it's understandably um, forgotten. But. but I think it's also, you know, really loved by the people who saw it. Um, and, and 
whether they came to it because they were Andy Richter fans or, you know, fans of the genre, which I thought was, you know, there weren't half-hour mysteries on. And it was such a fun take on it and a killer cast. How did the show come together? Um, It was a lot of, honestly, Conan's idea. Mm -hmm. It was Conan, I wrote that with Conan O'Brien, and uh, he had, this is really cool, he had this idea, he he had a writer named Dan Gore, who now has Mm -hmm. created Brooklyn Nine-Nine, and he was like, I love Dan, he's so kind of earnest and like, I will become a really good comedy writer, I, sh- I might go to medical school, no, I think I will be a good, really good comedy writer, and then he started talking about that guy who falls, like a kind of solid citizen guy who falls into the comedy, um, excuse me, falls into the private eye world, and as soon as we started talking about it, Conan and I, and we kicked around a few other ideas, we had just an idea to write something together, and he had this germ of an idea, um, we, um, we landed on, well, it has to be Andy Richter, because he has that, like, his superpower is his, the character's <laughs> superpower is his decency and his sort of unflappability and Midwestern kind of co- cool and repose and, and, and just honesty in the face of the du- duplicitous criminals that he's going to interact <laughs> with. And it was like, Andy would be so funny doing that. Um, so we kind of landed on Andy, and then we added elements of, you know, the old detective played by Harv Presnell from Fargo and many, many other things. Mm-hmm. Um um, as we went along, and then the uh, Wally, the Afghani kebab store owner, and <laughs> we we recast Andy's wife. That was a we we had we had a a really good actor in there. But um, I remember the network saying at the time, "Well, we need somebody super grounded to ground Andy because he's going to go to all these strange places. He's hmm. this accountant who falls in the private eye business." But then we realized, what if his wife was a little more daft and out there? <laughs> And even more earnest and nerdy than he, and that's where we landed on Clea Lewis, who was really that's funny. Right. Um, we haven't seen her on TV that much lately, and she's so funny. Um, so that's that's who ended up taking that part over. So it, again, it only ran six episodes, but yeah. as far as the mystery aspect of it, I'll speak to it quickly. It yeah. was not. Some people said that must have been a nightmare for you as a comedy writer. I had Jane Espenson on first of all, <laughs> who's uh, just was great. She was in a deal at NBC Universal at the time, so she was on with us. It didn't take very long. We didn't work very long as a writing staff because it was only five episodes plus the pilot. But she was really smart and then Alex Hirschlag was on it and he loved mysteries and I just, you know, uh, 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 immersed myself in Raymond Chandler novels Mm -hmm. and and all sort of noir things. Ensler got really into it. He directed all six episodes which is one reason why (laughs) it has such a consistently nice look. And and then as far as the writers, like different people got into it and we just kind of found that it gave as comedy writers it was freeing because it kind of gave us a little structure Mm -hmm. to the stories that didn't necessarily have to do with she told him a lie and now her feelings are hurt and he has to you know it's not purely emotional it it wasn't purely emotional yeah there was an actual physical plot so we had simple plots and obviously if you were if you're a mystery fan you would probably oh well that guy is probably going to be the guy but you know the the we were able to f- hide the ball just enough. Mm-hmm. Joel Hornstock, who's the VP of production at Fox at Twentieth uh, Television, who's a huge mystery guy. I went over to a deal in at Twentieth right after I left NBC after doing Andy Barker. They were done with me at that point. Uh, <laughs> he said, uh, "He said I have to give you credit. Like you told li- decent little mystery stories it, it, within twenty-two minutes, and you know you did. I mean, they weren't. You know, it wasn't. You know, it wasn't what." Rob, what you're doing or anything, but it was like within the framework of 22 minutes, he goes, that 
was pretty good. You know, I was like, I'll take it. Right. Plus, it was funny. We had Tony Hale and Harper Presnell and Cleo Lewis and Marshall Manesh and Andy Richter. So, yeah, and yeah. funny guest stars. Amy Sedaris played a a woman who was wrongly imprisoned with a wooden leg. Yep. <laughs> the lady varnishes. Uh, that was the other thing. We had all the. Uh, Oh, that's awesome. The punny names. <laughs> film noir punny names, yes. Uh, the Lady Varnishes and uh, oh, I can't remember the others. But yeah. That all, that felt, those titles felt very Jane Espenson to me. Uh, like, some of them were, de- I think <laughs> The Lady Varnishes was, absolutely was Jane Espenson. Hilarious. Yeah. Um, well, people should check it out. Uh, if they take nothing else from this <laughs> conversation, <laughs> it's do. on Netflix. And I think like it was a nice addition a couple of years ago too, right? With like commentaries and yeah, we did documentaries. A, and, and yeah, stuff. we did a. Cool. We, they somehow some it was the tail end of home video. So some mm-hmm. very nice producer Reed, whose last name I'm forgetting, and I forget the name of the company that did it. But they said that's a cool little show. Let's do a mm-hmm. DVD thing. So they did full on DVD yeah, extras. Cool and we collection. had Andy and Conan, and t- we brought Tony Hale in to talk about yeah. it, and <laughs> neat extras and stuff we had done to try to get internet traction and. And all deleted scenes, and they just don't even—they don't do that for happy endings, you know. No. Like people just aren't doing that stuff no. as much anymore because there's no market for the, the, the produced yeah. kind of DVD stuff. So. Yeah, and yeah, and I will—I always try to point people towards ones that I think are good, and will also like kind of give you what you get from this podcast, mm-hmm. which is how to make. If it you're listening right to this now. podcast and you haven't seen that show, you would yeah. like that. <laughs> exactly, <laughs> I think. And, and like comedy, and, and and you know what what uh, Steve and Rob do. So yeah, yeah. Uh, very quickly, let's talk about mysteries. I mean. You're doing 24 of them a year? Yeah, yeah. Wow, That's yeah, nuts. That's uh, nuts. Uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's, uh, it's, it's always a lot of fun in the very beginning of the season, but, uh, <laughs> right. but boy, towards the end, um, it, it, it gets trickier do, the, trickier. do the writers come in armed with material? I heard this story. This might be a cool way in. Yeah, yeah. Uh, certainly a lot of that. Uh, you know, people are always sort of, uh, you know, running things by me or, or Craig Sweeney. Um, you know, we, we also have this great writer's assistant, uh, Lauren, who is constantly, you know, drumming up articles on weird stories or crimes that are happening in New York or in the UK. So everybody's got this interesting pool of, uh, you know, of information to, to draw from. Um, and we're also, you know, we're lucky enough to have the canon to, uh, sure. to, to dive into as well. I mean, I don't think we've ever done a straight up adaptation of any of the stories, but we've done we've done some episodes that were certainly inspired by mm-hmm. some of the short mm-hmm. stories uh, that that Conan Doyle wrote. Um, you know, b- between the two, we we've at least so far been able to you know to, to fill our orders. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> see how, how three does it? Goes. I mean, halfway through the season. What starts to happen? I mean, you know, we talked to, like, uh, Andrew Marlowe, who talks about the castle stories, and those can kind of be a little weirder, a little lighter. You guys are doing much more straightforward uh, mysteries because they have to hinge on Sherlock's cleverness. Yeah, it's, it's, I mean, it's funny. One of the things I noticed in the very beginning is that we just burn through story at a, at a remarkable yeah. pace <laughs> because... He's, you know, he's so adept and he, he sees so much, um, you know, we are not often waiting to get the results back from the lab, you know, Sherlock's got to go <laughs> into a room and kind of, you know, check, yeah. check 10 things off and, and move on to the next, uh, the next beat. Um, so, so that was an interesting adjustment mm-hmm. to, uh, you know, to, 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 uh, to at least my, my <laughs> writing style, but what sort of made up the difference is because, Again, because it's it's Holmes and Watson, there's an obligation to go home with them at the end of the day, mm-hmm. and 
we don't have to just do you know one procedural beat after another. You know, I mean, it's not like law a, and order. Yeah, a, a strict proper procedural show. Mm-hmm. We'll probably do two cases in a in an hour. Mm-hmm. You intercut between those mm-hmm. those two until they both you know come to a conclusion. Uh, on us, we kind of like catch our breath by going home. <laughs> yeah, and you, you get know, to do the personal part. Yeah, that's yeah. where we can kind of stretch them out. You know, where nice. we can kind of you know, there's air there. There's there's room for fun. There's room for you know. Uh, moments between Sherlock and Joan and, mm-hmm. you know, checking in on their lives. So it's, uh, it's a nice balance. I love the mystery side. I love mm-hmm. coming up with, you know, with, with weird stuff to, you know, <laughs> to, to turn into episodes, but it's a lot of fun to write those two together. It's, sure. you know, it's, uh, it's a, the relationship historically is really important. And so, you know, again, we, we, we try to do right by it. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and I think you are. <laughs> I think well, you're doing all right. Thank you. Um, and I want to talk uh, about, you know, you've worked on shows that are, thank you. You've worked on shows that are mysteries solved in one. Mm-hmm. You've worked on shows that kind of spread the mystery over the season. Let's talk about that doling the mystery out. Sure. Um, I mean, yeah, when you're working on, a, on an episodic show, a crime show particularly, um, then really it's the scramble is coming up with enough 22, 23, 24 different yeah. ideas that will be a nice self-contained mystery. And on a CSI, you're competing with other CSIs. CSIs, Yeah, it was really doing it for five years. Um, uh, But, you know, I was on Miami, and and it was always about... Our stories tended to have a very sensational angle to them. Not always riff from the headlines, uh, a la Law & Order, but more um, something really... Uh, kind of sensational and and that that if it played into kind of a high end sort of crowd more the better we didn't do a lot of grimy alleys and stuff mm-hmm. like that um, it was really about the rich and famous you know or or the, those pretending to be you know doing bad stuff um, and getting caught with science um, <laughs> and uh, and none of the lovely character that you're talking about or very little yeah. of it anyway um, so that's I think a, a good thing that that procedurals have started to mm-hmm. edge toward that sure. um, with serialized it's it's a whole different ball game because we're setting up mysteries that we know most of the answers to, but a lot of it is on faith, and we have faith that we're going to figure out what this is all about and be able to twist and turn and figure figure out where we're going, and also that the audience will stay with us mm-hmm. during that, and so it's a kind of a matter of, yeah, it's, it's uh, I mean, the Helix Pilot, it, it, there's a lot of, of balls tossed up in the air there, yeah. um, and then the trick is, I think, to have a happy audience um, and a happy experience watching the show is to reveal stuff um, and yeah. not wait too terribly long between, but to give them stuff at the same time, come up with, it's like, oh, okay, we learned about this, but now there are two new mysteries that just shot off this way and that way. And what, is, what does that mean? And we have a lot of that e- either plot mystery or character mystery. Because yeah. what we did... Um, because we decided we weren't going to do flashbacks or anything back home, is we just loaded people up with backstory. I mean, way too much backstory, just so they could play in that 13-day uh, kind of episode-by-episode episode, um, uh, structure and have stuff happen. Everyone yeah. comes in with an agenda. Everyone's got secrets, hiding stuff. Uh, up, to, you know, people you thought were good are, are have selfish motives. People right. you thought were bad have altruistic motives, but they're going about it the wrong way. Yeah. So it's a lot of kind of heaping it in and then drawing back and figuring out kind of what the push-pull is and when you reveal something. Um, and uh, uh, one of our big reveals, I mean, was in the pilot. Uh, mm-hmm. It was it was this whole, uh, it's, it's the episode is aired, so, so I can say the show has a, a large, um, uh, has very much to do with immortality. And that was initially in the pilot. And we pulled it out and said, we're going to put that in episode 10. So then everything, instead of the show being about that, became getting to that point. Yeah. So that was an example of us saying, you know what, it feels like we have, we, there's some play we could have with that. Mm-hmm. Instead of just 
taking it to that place right away, which I think a broadcast network show would have done that. It would have been the show about right. that. Um, we were able to play the mystery of that. Right. And you built the in enough, season. Per, again, personal right. and smaller mysteries that still every episode is satisfying. It's a, a satisfying episode of TV. I hope so, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah thank you. Um, we need to wrap up, but very quickly I want to hear about what you guys are watching on television, what is getting you excited, what you're talking about with your friends, your spouses, the rooms that you are in. Uh, Jonathan, what are you watching? Well, I'm terrible at watching half hours because <laughs> well, a lot of comedy writers are. I don't. I get nervous and like worried that, uh, yeah. And I'm not. I'm. I'm just writing. I'm do, doing a pilot now, so I'm not even worried about it. Like, oh, I'm going to break an episode, and I don't want to see what Mindy Project did on that. But still, I just I haven't watched that many of them. So I like to watch hours. I'm Downton Abbey guy, but I liked. I'm very much enjoying True Detective. Only watched about half of them. I want to watch your guys' shows now. Ellen, my wife loves Elementary. I tend to uh, be like on the internet or whatever. And now I'm gonna watch it more. Thank you. And I've also not. Uh, I, I want to watch the British Sherlock, which people love. Mm-hmm. I want to watch. So there's more like stuff that I want to watch than I. I'll sure. watch Mad Men. Mm-hmm. I'm kind of boring. This the usual stuff. <laughs> I mean, the, they're the usual stuff for a reason, though. I they're know all they're really all good. good. Um, but um, you know, I'll watch the occasional Good Wife with my mm-hmm. wife, which she loves. Um, and then I'll watch some half hours. You know, I'm interested to see how How I Met Your Mother's going to wrap that mm-hmm. up. And um, mm. and uh, I like Trophy Wife. Uh, Me too. A couple times Love I've it. seen it. Love Friends it, yeah. of mine work on that. It's really charming. It's charming. Uh, they did a nice funny. job mm-hmm. with it. I like um, I like Brooklyn Nine Nine. Yeah, I, I need to watch more of it. Um, but there's too many, actually, too many good television shows to watch. Really Stop are. making good TV shows. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, no, no, it, we are weirdly in a golden age of network half-hour comedies that yes. nobody's watching. I think that's true. <laughs> I just made one that yeah. are, I mean, was you a good even one. Mention Parks and Rec. Parks and Rec is a great, a great show. show. Yep. Great show. But like, yeah, you know, it gets lost. There, yeah, there's so many I good agree. half hours. Uh, there's so many good half hours, and and they all have about four million people watching them, and none of them is really making any money, and it's right. weird. Well, those are the new numbers. We just need to readjust. Yeah, yeah, yeah. that's true. We all agree on that. Uh, Steve, what are you watching? Um, I, uh, like you, uh, I tend to um, to not have time during the season, but I've been playing catch-up now. I've had a little bit of of time. Um, So I just caught up with Breaking Bad. Finally, which is fantastic, and, and I, I hear it's I, good. I, yeah, I hear it's, I hear it's not a bad show. Um, it's just brilliant, and, and kudos to Vince for for that. I knew it was going to be good. I just had another time <laughs> time to watch it. But I I, I really like True Detective. Um, enjoyed yeah. that very much. Um, I love 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 Game of Thrones. I just yeah. I'm a dork, and I just <laughs> you know my wife was like, oh, you're watching that show with the swords and the uh, dragons and stuff again. And I'm like, no, come on, it is the best. Um, just just love that. I went back and went and read the books uh, once I started no watching connection. because wow. it was just so awesome. That's so now I know what's going to happen. Yeah, is it still um, satisfying? Yeah, it is. Watch? It is in a different in a different sort of way. It's like you know how the sausage is made now, but at the <laughs> same time, it's it's fun. Watch. Listen, the Red Wedding was was kind of awesome, no matter if you knew or not. I'm still um, getting over it. Yeah, it's <laughs> unbelievable the the choices they make there. Um, and then I'll, I'll watch. Um, I don't. I, I was watching Modern Family. I haven't seen it in a while, but I, I enjoyed that. I um, I've been watching Girls. Um, and I can't quite say why, um, but but I'm watching it and I'm entertained. I have a theory um, that the mo- the biggest fan of girls are, pardon me for putting you in this category, <laughs> middle-aged men. Because I'm I think certain. it reminds them of smart, <laughs> fucked up girls that yeah, they knew yeah, at that be. age that you were like weirdly attracted to <laughs> and part of. And like uh, the, uh, the audience that I think a lot of times, at least in comedy writer world, that is iffy on that show are like my smart 
29-year-old right. female comedy writer, <laughs> writer friends who are like, eh, it's yeah. like, it's the Uncanny Valley thing. Right. They're not quite getting it right. <laughs> yeah. But she's, I, so I think funny. Lena Dunham is so funny and smart. Yeah. So it's, I, it's I do watch really that I haven't watched yeah. it too much recently, but I mm-hmm. like the first season a lot. Um, but yeah, it's just, been really good. Yeah, yeah. It, has, it has been good. And, and um, trying to think what else, Masters of Sex, I, I thought was Love terrific. It. Oh, yeah. Uh, Mad Men, the usual suspects, yeah. Mad Men, Downton Abbey. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, it's it's there. There is a lot of great stuff to yeah. watch, and it's just like finding the time. Yeah, uh, Rob, do you even have time to watch? Uh, you know, uh, here here and there, I I I, uh, I make time <laughs> when I when I can. Uh, you know, it's funny. The, the the one show that I really kind of devour as it as it comes out. I mean, I, I tend to record a bunch of stuff and mm-hmm. then binge watch here and there. But uh, Justified, that's a show I right. watch as it comes out the week best. by week. Uh, I just I love that show. Uh, you know, it's a show that I completely missed last year. I, I came very late to this particular nerdy party, but uh, Orphan Black. Oh, uh, that's supposed to be amazing. Was, yeah. yeah, it's phenomenal. Really and, great. and my my wife is not a sci-fi fan uh, in general. I mean, she mm-hmm. she'll watch Game of Thrones. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're both huge fans of that show. But uh, we watched ten hours of Orphan Black in in a couple of days, which like, you know, between elementary and two little kids, uh, is, <laughs> is kind of a remarkable. <laughs> yeah. But uh, if, you know, it's sci-fi without like the heavy lifting of sci-fi. Uh, you know, no, that's if, great. If that's she, the best way. Yeah. I think if she yeah. wasn't so great, I yeah, I don't mm-hmm. think. I mean, they have a few. They have a few people in the cast who are, mm-hmm. who are excellent. Mm-hmm. But, but those first few she's episodes, remarkable. she's really. Oh great. yeah, yeah. The pilot is yeah. so smart and so fast. Yeah. Um, it's it's really good stuff. What's the deal with uh, the return? People are talking about that show. You heard about the French that? one? Yeah, uh, it's great. Yeah, I watched I them all over a weekend. My wife was out of town. I was like, let's see what this is. That's supposed to be really. Could not tear away. From yeah. it. Yeah. We all watched Homeland. Watch, yeah. I guess we're not going to talk about that because that was ultimately... the first two seasons. Yeah. I'm yeah. just about to get... I've had it sitting on my... I know, me too. I'm, I'm behind. <laughs> it it was sat for so long. The I first season I, is so good. Yeah. yeah. That's yeah. what I'm... Uh, I, we, we just started. I just watched the first two. So mm-hmm. Report back to us. Yeah. <laughs> I, yes, <laughs> next time. I'll, I'll let you know. Uh, thank you guys so much for being here. I really Great. appreciate Thanks, it. Thanks, Thank you. Yeah, uh, yeah. We'll hope to, hopefully talk to you guys soon. Now leaving Nerdist.com.